important things of who he is and, and what's taking place. I mean, this isn't really a whole lot if the God who created everything wanted to make us know certain things. This isn't that much information. I mean, the Encyclopedia Britannica is bigger. But God wanted to have these poems in there. Why? And not only why, why are they poems? Couldn't he just explain things? One of the things that happens many times with us is we get so captured in trying to understand and rationalize things that we forget that we are not just people who think, we are people who feel. And most big decisions that are made in our lives, most big turning points that happen within our lives are not times when we have this intellectual epiphany. E equals MC squared. Never thought about that before. I still don't know what it means. But it didn't change how they lived and functioned. But when you stood there at the altar and said, I do to your husband or wife, oh, I bet that changed your life. And I bet that moved you. Or when your child was born, thought it'd be relevant to all you new parents out there. There was an emotion that overwhelms you and it's something that lasts and it's something that affects you. I remember when my kids were first born and and they had Corrine on the operating table and it, the twins were the first two that were born. We didn't start with one. Just want to let you parents know when you come up to me for sympathy. Mm-mm. Uh, we started with two. And I remember they did a cesarean and it was a trip. You know, I'm watching this and, and they, they cut my wife open and then they pull out this baby. And I'm thinking, oh man, he's huge. And there's another one in there. Like, how big can he be? I thought the other one was going to be tiny, but they pulled them both out there. And it was just, I remember thinking, I'm a father. And it impacted my life and, and it shaped me. And the reason I want to submit to you that God has given us these poems of lamenting and weeping and have made them poems is because they are to move us emotionally. They're meant to have that kind of effect on us. Imagine if instead of singing the songs that Danny sang, if we just came up and, okay guys, we're going to do a song, you know, I better not do that one. That's the next one he's going to do. I'll give it away. So only you deserve the praise of the earth. Let's think about that. Would that have the same effect as singing? No, it's the singing that moves us. It's the beat. It's when Danny hits those high notes that I can't hit. When he goes, ah, you know, and it's like, ah, that sounds so good. And it moves you emotionally. It's not the same thing if I try and explain what's being said as what's being sung. And so we're not going to try and do deep theological analysis on these poems of lamenting. What we want them to do is impact us the way the writer was trying to. To hit us like it was hitting him and like he wrote them to hit those people who he wrote them to. Now, chapter 3 is an interesting chapter. 
All the other chapters, 1, 2, 4, and 5, they have 22 verses. And I explained two weeks ago that this is acoustic poetry, which means every verse or stanza begins with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet and it goes to 22 because there's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. And so they each contain, it's trying to cover basically the whole of what he's trying to explain. But in chapter 3, there's three stanzas for each letter, and so there's 66 verses. And this is like a a sad country song. He starts off telling, girl, why did you treat me this way? I'm paraphrasing. (laughs) And, And then he goes to the chorus, what we had was so good. And then there's another verse, but you betrayed me. And then there's this bridge that says, you're gonna get it. And and if you were to try and analyze this, if you were to give this chapter to a psychologist and say, can you tell me what's going on? They would say, this guy is bipolar. This guy is in bad shape. So let's look at it. And I'm going to kind of jump and start towards the back and move our way in the end. You know, in verse 47, as Jeremiah is watching the destruction of the city, as he is hearing the cries as people are being slaughtered, children, women being ravaged, the temple that they worshipped that was sacred being burned. As all this is taking place, he writes, we have suffered terror and pitfalls ruin and destruction. Streams of tears flow from my eyes because my people are destroyed. My eyes will flow unceasingly without relief until the Lord looks down from heaven and sees. What I see brings grief to my soul because of all the women of my city. And so you you see the emotion that's pouring out of him. And then in the next verse, there's this swing They tried to end my life in a pit and threw stones at me. Now the they he is talking about are the people of Israel. This isn't the enemy. This isn't the Babylonians. This is King Zedekiah in chapter 38 of Jeremiah when Jeremiah was telling them, if you guys don't change, there is going to be judgment upon God's people, because God cares about his people and he doesn't let them get away with these things. If you don't change, you're going to find yourselves in captivity. And they said, I'm tired of hearing you. And so they took him and they threw him in a cistern, this big pit where they would gather and collect water. And that's where he was. And that's what he's talking about here. Verse 54, he says, the waters closed over my head and I thought I was about to perish. I called on your name, Lord, from the depths of the pit. You heard my plea. Do not close your ears to my cry for relief. You came near when I called you and you said, do not fear. You, Lord, looked up my case and redeemed my life. Lord, you have seen the wrong done to me. Uphold my cause. You have seen the depth of their vengeance, all their plots against me. Lord, you have heard their insults, all their plots against me. What my enemies whisper and mutter against me all day long. Look at them, sitting or standing. They mock me in their songs. Pay them back 
what they deserve, Lord, for what their hands have done. Put a veil over their hearts and may your curse be on them. Pursue them in anger and destroy them from under the heavens of the Lord. Whoa. You're just crying over these people and now you're telling God, get them. How can that be? How, how can you have such love for these people and then how can you have such desire for revenge? Maybe you can kind of answer that in your own heart. Maybe you've been in a situation like that. Just recently I was sitting with a friend who had found out that his wife was cheating on him. And as we were talking and he was trying to decide how he's going to move his life forward with this information. He's got this anger in him that's causing him to respond in ways that just aren't healthy for him and aren't good. And as I was talking to him, I asked him, I said, what would you like to see take place? What is the future? If you could create a future for yourself, what is the future you would want to see? And just with brokenness, he says, I want to be with my wife. I want to be back together. And so I shared with him, then what you need to do is be the person who can live and keep that future available because if you keep reacting the way you are, you're going to shut the door on that future. And there is no shame for you wanting your marriage to work. You will not be put to shame. If she doesn't want it and if she remains in this state unfaithful, the shame is on her No one will look back at you and say, what a fool, you wanted love. And so we talked about that and and within two minutes after we had this conversation, she texted him. And she said that she wants things to be good between them. And he was talking to me as this was going on. I said, what do you think that means? And he says, well, I wonder if it means she wants to be together and there's going to be a lot of work that needs to take place and I said well remember your response needs to be one that keeps the future you want in mind in other words say things that can lead you to the place where you want to be and so he had said some mean things cruel things to her and he apologized and said I would never do anything to hurt you I'm in love with you he, he opened his soul and put it there in that text. And she responded and said, well, I need time. I still have feelings for this other man. And I'm not sure if I want to be with you or with him. And I saw this darkness overtake him. And start to choke the hope that he had. And I saw this place of mercy and wanting to bring reconciliation and and wanting love to prevail turn in a moment's time to intense hatred and weeping 
brokenness. See, when you love, you will hurt. We talked about this when we went through the Beatitudes when Jesus said, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. That mourning is actually a gift from God because we care. And if you love, you will hurt. And so here, Jeremiah loves his people. But he's been wounded. He's weeping over them, but he remembers how they treated him. And so you've got this schizophrenic dialogue going on. I'm weeping for you. Get them, Lord. What's going on? And and we're going to see it resolve as time goes on. Let's look at chapter 3, verse 1. We're going to read through a little bit and, and kind of lay, again, the beginning of what he's talking about here. I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of the Lord's wrath. He has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. Indeed, he has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. He has made my skin and my flesh grow old and has broken my bones. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. He has made me dwell in darkness like those long dead. He has walled me in so I cannot escape. He has weighed me down with chains. Even when I call out or cry out for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has barred my way with blocks of stone. He has made my paths crooked like a bear lying in wait, like a lion in hiding. He dragged me from the path and mangled me and left me without help. He drew his bow and made me the target for his arrows. He pierced my heart with arrows from his quiver. I became the laughingstock of all my people. They mock me in song all day long. He has filled me with bitter herbs and given me gall to drink. He has broken my teeth with gravel. He has trampled me in the dust. I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. So I say, my splendor is gone, and all that I had hoped from, from the Lord. Dark place. When you feel that God has turned his back on you, when you feel that you have been forgotten, when you feel that your prayers don't even reach the ceiling, when you feel that God is actually out to cause you harm, When your circumstances seem unbearable and you say, Oh God, why are you letting this happen? What am I supposed to do? Oh God, don't you care? Can't you help? Now, maybe you don't actually say those things. Here's a little news flash. God hears what you think. 
Okay, just so you know, you might not think you're praying, you might not think you're saying anything, but God's sitting there going, what? Someone does you wrong, and you say, oh, man, I wish that guy, I, mean, I hope his car breaks, and I hope, you know, whatever it is that's going on in your head, you think it's in your head, and God's hearing it. And you can't shut the door. God, give me just a minute. Go on, get out. What you think he hears. And again, not trying to get into a theological debate. Well, is this true? Is this how God... This is how he feels. Has anyone ever felt forgotten? Has anyone ever felt like, oh God, I cannot deal with this. I want your help. Where are you? I cannot stand this anymore. Or maybe you say it like this. Really, God? Really? Okay, that's how I say it. I'm just giving you a little clue in in my little life here. I'm there, something happens, and it's like, isn't there enough? Really, God? Really? And so this is Jeremiah giving us the insight, giving us the emotion of what's going on inside of him. And I think we can relate in some some way. Imagine what he's seeing and being a part of. It's probably a little bit more extreme than the things that we've gone through. Seeing people murdered, butchered, men taken into captivity. His whole life is now just being burned to the ground. Everything that he cares about and loves is being taken away. The people he cares for, they're gone, even though they mistreated him. This is all taking place and he's witnessing it and he finds himself in this place, but he doesn't stay there. Verse 19, this guy's got issues, I'm telling you. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them and my soul is downcast within me, yet this I call to mind. And therefore I have hope. And he's about to write some of the most beautiful words in the middle sandwiched between this bitterness and this gall. Verse 22. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those who hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke while he is young. Let him sit alone in silence, for the Lord has laid it on him. Let him bury his face In the dust, there may yet be hope. Let him offer his cheek to one who would strike him and let him be filled with disgrace for no one is cast off by the Lord forever. Though he brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love for he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. Turn the page. The light shines in. He has a different perspective now. 
First there is one God, you have mangled me like a lion, you've pierced my heart like an arrow, you have abandoned me, you've made my paths crooked, and all of a sudden, yet I'll remember this. If it wasn't for his compassion, if it wasn't for his great love, I'd be consumed. And he goes on and he spells out this beautiful poetry of hope. And he even says, you know, where is it where he talks about laying your face in the dust? It is good for a man to bear his yoke while he is young. Let him sit alone for the Lord laid it on him. Let him, verse 29, bury his face in the dust. There may yet be hope. Why are you to lay your face in the dust? You're to humble yourself. You're to say, is there hope? I am going to wait for it. In the middle of this darkness, I'm going to wait for it. And some of these verses might remind you of some of the things that Jesus said. When someone strikes you, yeah, let them go ahead. Don't don't retaliate. There's this idea, if you've been struck, but you're not going to just respond... Turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. I want to look at this a little bit more because there's this understanding that's taking place that I need to do something so that I can recognize the hope that God has given. And in Matthew chapter 4, we, we see the temptation of Jesus. And this is something that we're very familiar with, but there's some troubling things in this passage. And I'm going to just start with this, and then we're going to move to another passage where this really is pulling us to. In verse 1 of chapter 4, then Jesus was led by the Spirit. Led by who? The Spirit. Into the wilderness to be tempted by who? Wrap your minds around that for a second. Jesus was led by the Spirit to be tempted by the devil. Anyone feel uncomfortable right now? Why? That doesn't seem right. Hebrews tells us that though he, Jesus, were a son, yet he learned obedience through the things that he suffered. We talked about it a couple weeks ago. There are things that you and I will only learn through the furnace. You see, the fire has to be hot before the iron becomes metal. The pressure has to be great on the coal before it ever becomes a diamond. If there is ever going to be something that comes of value, it usually has to be through this furnace. It goes on and it says, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, let's not just pass over that one too quickly. That's a long time, would be without food. He was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if, and that really should be since you are the son of God, because the devil knew he was and Jesus knew he was, it's really since you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, we've or I've always heard this kind of spiritualized, really what you just need is the word of God. 
It's going to be what sustains you. You go 40 days without food, and then I'll just give you some scriptures. You see, I don't think it's just talking about, yeah, well, all we need is the, the scriptures and we'll find sustenance for our lives. No, you still need food. He's not talking about that. In fact, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8 and we'll see what he is talking about. Now remember, Jesus has been sent into the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted. And there's a correlation to this passage that we're here looking at in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 1. It says, Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter the, to possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord, your God, led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order that you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. Did God really not know? He tested them so that he would know? Or was it maybe to reveal to them what should be known so that we would know? Verse 3, he humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out, and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. I wonder if that included the pregnant ladies. Just thought of you ladies who had babies there. Anyway, sorry, <laughs> I don't know where that came from. Um, know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Here's the correlation. Jesus is 40 days in the wilderness, led by the Spirit, tempted by the devil. The correlation comes back when God had the children of Israel 40 years wandering in the wilderness. And he did this to test them, to see what was in their heart. And it says that he made them hungry. so that he could show his provision. He made them hungry so that they could be postured in a way to receive for him. And then it says that he gave them manna. And the word manna means what is it? Because they had never seen it before. No one had. It was this stuff that appeared on the ground that came from the mouth of God. God spoke and gave them manna every day. The manna would only last one day except on Friday when they had the Sabbath on Saturday, the manna somehow lasted two days. And they could eat it Friday and Saturday. But if they tried to save enough manna so that they wouldn't have to go and get it for the next day, it would get rotten, there'd be maggots. So they had to trust every day God for that food. Where did that food came, come from? It came from God. God gave it to them. See, Jesus isn't saying we don't need food. What he's saying is we need the food that comes from God. We need the recognition that our needs are supplied to by God. What we need to do is humble ourselves, recognize our hearts. 
and be hungry in a place to recognize that I am starving to death unless you give me food, unless you feed what my soul needs, I will not survive. Because man doesn't live by bread alone. I know a lot of people who have a lot of food who are dead. I know people who are walking around and have plenty, but have nothing. Isaiah writes it this way. He says, Why spend money on what is not bread? And your labor on what does not satisfy. Listen. Listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest affair. What God is doing is making them hungry, bringing this darkness so that they will hunger for what they really need. And and when Jeremiah writes and says, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. What does he mean, we are not consumed? Consumed by what? Consumed by a lack of hope. Consumed to a place where there is no light. You see, the only thing that shines sometimes in these dark places is the hope of God. It's the only food we have. Nothing else can satisfy. There is nothing else that can deal with the hurt. There is nothing else that can help my mind get out of this. It takes the light of God to just give me a glimmer of hope and give me the ability to see that this is not all there is. That there is hope. And I will put my face to the ground in the dust because there yet may be hope. Sometimes we have to come to the end of everything else so that we can turn to the only thing there really is. Because there is no other God who is coming for you. There is no other God who is coming to try and bring salvation. And even in this passage where he talks about salvation, he's talking about making us whole. Bringing us to a place of wholeness. Of completion. James talks about that in James chapter 1. Another passage that you're familiar with. And he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. I know we read that. Do we do that? The many kinds or various ways, it actually means multicolored. And when you think of the things uh, that have brought you joy, if you think of like the top things in your life that have brought you joy, what are some of those things? Shout them out. What is something that brought you joy? What's that? Your children? 
Just children? Nothing. <laughs> what else? Grandbabies. I guess kids. We're on a kids thing. I see where you guys are at. Okay. You know, maybe it's a job. Promotion. New car. Your favorite TV show is on. I know, I'm not getting spiritual now. I'm just being truthful, okay? Those things that you like, that you, oh boy, this is happening. Your favorite food. Your team won. The Lakers. Yes, they did it. And so, let me ask you, are the top things that bring you pure joy? I I didn't hear anything, oh, that time when this calamity happened in my life. Anyone? No. Why not? Because our minds are not postured to think of these things because we are postured in just how we see and what we live. You see, our eyes are blind to the things that are really shaping us to be better people. And what he goes on to say, as he says, because you know, in verse 3, that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Let this work take place so that you can be whole. See, the idea here is that we are needing those things to make us who we really need to be. And he goes on. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it be given to you. Now, doesn't this seem, again, like, well, you're just talking about, you know, trials and they're going to work something. Now you're talking about wisdom. What are you talking about? Well, because sometimes we go through these trials and we don't know why. I don't. What the heck, God? Really? Well, that's so cute, little baby. (laughs) And what I need is wisdom to understand. And he tells us, wisdom that you should ask God who gives generously all without finding fault, and it will give to you. But, here's a condition, when you ask, You must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Now, now what's James trying to tell us here? he's, He's telling us that these things that are difficult and understanding what happened in the time that James is writing that the church has suffered persecution They have been scattered. They were doing great in Jerusalem. They were all having a good time. They were growing by the thousands. They were all sharing in common with one another all the things that you needed. Oh, you need some stuff here. I'll give you food. Hey, it was like this great grand party festival. There was no other church anywhere. What church do you go to? The one in Jerusalem. It's the only one. I'm going to go to Samaria. There's no church in Samaria. It's just in Jerusalem. And all of a sudden there comes this persecution, the stoning of Stephen, and all of a sudden this incredible persecution, and they have to flee. 
And they're running now for their lives and they're being persecuted and he's telling them when you encounter these difficulties, recognize something's happening. Count it joy because it's producing perseverance, resilience in you to be able to stand through what you're going to go through. And let that have its work so that you can be whole. But you need not to doubt. You can't be double-minded. Think of it this way. You know, when you're riding a horse, if you pull the reins to the left, which way does the horse go? It's not a trick question. It's left, okay? And when you pull it to the right, it goes right. What happens when you pull it both ways? It stops. A double-minded man doesn't go anywhere. Doesn't grow. I trust you, God. I don't trust you. I don't know if you're really there. And so what James is encouraging us to do is to make the decisions that will lead us to wholeness. What happened in Lamentations chapter 3 is the darkness that came about was interrupted by the only hope that there is, and that's in God. And we need to cling to that hope. And you have to invest in that hope. You see, your actions towards hope, towards trust, towards faith in God will lead to your wholeness. It will lead to you eating the food that satisfies. It's the dependency on God for today, for this situation that I'm dealing with that gives you the strength to deal with tomorrow. It's when you can't see anything, you can still walk by faith. And when you're hurt and wounded, the things that you do still matter. You are creating your future. And when you say something like that, you know, you guys create your future. A lot of people get uneasy. No, the future's in God's hands. I don't create the future. People like to create history. Let's make history. Don't you have to make a future to make history? It's kind of redundant. It's You have to do something for that to be history. But we all create our future. And it's real important that we recognize that. And, and I'll show you. I'm going to create f- future right now. It's like a magic trick. Here's the present. You guys see the present? Future. Pretty good, huh? (laughs) My action caused this. And so I knew that was going to happen. Now, my future can also affect others. Gabe? Created a future. Go ahead, be nice. (laughs) Your actions affect something and those around you. What's crazy is the person who says, okay, here's my future. How'd that happen? (laughs) Slept with my boyfriend, I got pregnant. How'd that happen? (laughs) 
Now, we can create a future that's dark, or we can create a future that has hope. We can live a life that has the ability to see God even in the midst of the darkness, or we can be swallowed up by the darkness. Jeremiah is this incredibly emotional journey of hurt and hope and hurt and later on we're going to see and healing. And I pray that would be the case with us as well. Let's pray. Father, there is no one in this room who is immune from hurt, from disappointment, from depression. None of us are invincible. We are all vulnerable to the life that is around us. We are subject to illness. We are subject to calamities, whether it be by the hand of people or by nature. And those things should not be the things that shape who we are. We want you to be the one who shapes who we are, even through these things. And so when the storm comes and the clouds blacken the skies, may we put our face to the dirt and say there is yet hope. And we know that it's by your mercy that we will not be consumed. Your mercies are new every morning. And as they went out and fed themselves with manna that came from you, may we too fill ourselves this day and every day with the life that you are able to give us in spite of our circumstances, in spite of the situations. May we make the choices that will lead to the future that includes you. May hope reign in our hearts. Lord, thank you for the honesty of your words in the scriptures or that sometimes are a little more real than we want to admit. Thank you that you meet us where we are at, that you are the God who has come for us. Thank you, Jesus. Bless the remainder of this time and our day together, Lord. And as we go away, may your hand be upon us and may we be mindful of all the things you would say to us. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.